Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. January 9th on the Mike Abadir Show. We are now moving into the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. And uh, I don't think in week one in the wild card round, we were quite expecting that good of a weekend, Mike. I mean, on paper, it looked like we had some good games. It looked like we had some good teams this year. But we had four games that were all decided by one score. Um, We didn't have any blowouts. And I think we had two pretty big upsets in particular the the game that you and I I mean we thought the Saints were probably as good as any team in this playoff mix so what are some of your early takes from uh from wild card round well first of all it was all about road teams right yep. the road teams did remarkably well in this opening round of the playoffs and uh, I think that in of itself is typically a surprise right because you fight so hard to try to get these home playoff games and what did it really mean last weekend not a whole hell of a lot you saw and Tennessee the, going and the in the team that it, didn't win spit it too i mean they very they were the most probably disappointing of all of them i mean when you're up 16 to nothing and you're just absolutely dominating the game and then we we i, I will say this though for for the people who backed buffalo this was the concern the the Josh Allen is he ready for a big game? Um, can he you know bring you bring you back if you're down? Can he make big enough plays? And we saw this weekend that he might not be ready. You know, and you know, I don't know if he ever will be. You know, I don't know if he's that really that type of quarterback. No. You know, this, but he can pilot the ship and do okay if he's got a good cast around him, right? That, that just I just hope that's not one of those games that sticks with you because this was like. He was playing very well early, and he made some really nice plays early on. And even after the struggles, like, you watch him, and he just is able to, like, the one play that I'm thinking where he, like, extended the play and made that incredible throw on the run in a really tight window, and you're just like, that's what, that's always going to be the problem with him is that he's able to make such incredible plays, but he, he just can't really make the basic plays. I mean, he took the sack and then another sack and then he makes a great run down the field. And then what the hell is he doing? Trying to like flip the ball to the tight end. It was almost like when, uh, when you see a player like a, get the yips and they can't make the throw at first, it, but, but he was still like able it was, it was like, it was kind of high schoolish. Kind of really high school football. Yeah, it was like you know? the difference between great play and then just like absurdly what the hell is he doing play? I don't know if we just we haven't really but here's seen the thing, but here's the thing, Gino. See, when you're let's take a great quarterback and nobody's comparing him to a great quarterback, but when you're a great quarterback, you don't necessarily have to do those things. Like a lot of times you'll see like the really good quarterbacks, they'll almost like nonchalantly go out of bounds, you know, they don't want to take that hit or whatever. Well, why do they do that? Because they're throwing for four or five thousand yards a year, so you know they don't have to expose their bodies to one more hit. But when you're a guy that's throwing for like 150 yards, 200 yards a game, and your real game is about your legs and being able to scramble and avoid sacks, an inch for every yard, claw for every yard, you you end up making those kind of mistakes, right? Because that's that's your game. That's like your strong point. Do you see what I'm saying? Where you, you mm-hmm. don't you know if the other guys they don't need to do that. He's got to do things like that. But they're probably going to rein him in. But I think we know what Josh Allen is. You know, um, I don't think he's ever going to be a great passing quarterback. He's going to be a 
the type of quarterback that you hope, if he's got the pieces around him, can play just good enough to not lose you any games. And obviously, you you alluded to this early on about the Saints, and I've got a lot of opinions about that. I've had a lot of conversations with guys from within the organization, both on the player side and front office side. And my own conclusion, I'm not speaking for anybody, but this one falls squarely on the shoulders of Sean Payton. I agree. And I love Sean Payton, but I think, A, he got too cute. Why not stick to what what gets you there? And we, we see that kind of a lot in the baseball when they get into the playoffs. And you're kind of like, why is this manager making these kind of moves or that kind of moves or changing the lineup, not doing what you did to win 100 games? And the same thing with the Saints. What you did to win 12, 13 games, to have done it now three years in a row, and then why do you change the game plan in the playoffs? Why do you get too cute? That's number one. Number two, it was also the the time management was awful, both first half and at the end of the game, especially really, really bad. doesn't make sense to me to, like, go into the um, overtime with a tie in your back pocket when you maybe could have, gotten a touchdown and avoided overtime in the first place. But yeah, you mentioned the end of the the first half. There was also bad. I think they had a timeout still left. Um, the first three games of the weekend, and the only game that I think is really hard from just like a pure analysis game to judge is that Eagles-Philly game because I think the game was really over when Wentz got hurt and he was done. You know, it's... um. Although that wasn't a bad job. No, by McCown. Done. And McCown no. wouldn't have been... Like, if you were talking about... Uh, players who or backup quarterbacks who you want would have wanted in a situation like that McCown would have probably been high on the list the only issue is is that they McCown couldn't do it without the skill players like if, if we're talking about Wentz getting hurt and then McCown was coming in throwing to Alshon Jeffrey Aguilar and a healthy Ertz then maybe they'd have a shot but I don't think McCown could come in and like and then pick up a bunch of uh you know which a lot of them were practice squad players, you know, that were playing in the game. So I don't, I just don't think the combination of the backup QB and the backup skill players were going to be, you know, enough for the Eagles in that game. So to me, that was like the game that was still like, and that was the only one that wasn't. And it's extra weird too, because it's kind of like backups against backups, right? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot for Seattle. you know, Seattle's down their top three backs. And, you know, uh, it's, it's one of those things where it, you watch the game, and I completely agree with you. You really don't know what to make of Seattle and how far can they really go covering up their blemishes. And I don't know. I still don't know what to make of it. No. I don't have a super strong opinion because I don't really have a strong opinion of Green Bay. I'm sure you've noticed that it's, all year. And yeah. they probably proved me wrong more often than I've been right. But I don't know. I still it, think that Seattle – can go in there and win. Completely agree. And before we even like really move on, I know Arif's going to join us in, in just a minute. Um, I thought that in the first three games of the last weekend, where the Bills lost, where the Patriots lost, and then where the Saints lost, I think before all three of those games, if you were going to ask who was the better coach, you probably would have said McDermott, who's done an amazing job with very little there in Buffalo. You would have said, you know, the goat, Belichick, or, or one of the goats. And then you would have said Peyton. And I think all three of them got out coached. And I think all three of them might have been part of the reason why they lost their particular games, which you don't say very often. And, uh, I mean, we saw Vrabel giving uh, Belichick a taste of his own medicine with just kind of wasting some time. That could have, that's one of those things that could bite you in the butt. But when you win, 
it you're able to spin it you know positively you mentioned Peyton I mean McDermott we were we were discussing some of Josh Allen's flaws but McDermott with um the way what the hell were they doing on like fourth and 27 going for it when they obviously could have punted or even tried a 60 yard field goal with a guy who's kicked who was kicking like who and who is one I think the second most accurate field goal kicker in in NFL playoff history right now. Yeah, and you're not dealing dealing with like weather elements. No, it's indoor. Like you know, exactly. So, so it's like one of you have one of two options. It's kick or kick. It's kick the field goal or yeah. punt. And you what, what, what do you have a better there. chance of doing? Eclipsing a quarter of the field on one play or kicking a field goal that's a little bit long distance wise. And I, if you I don't want to go the for chances it, are a lot better, or, you know, one or the other. Or kick. You still had timeouts and you still had the opportunity to pin them back and get the ball back again on with better field position. So there's like it, it was amazing. It was like he kind of got we, we almost saw this with McVeigh, I think, in a couple different instances too. Like the first year that they made the playoffs, he was really the the Rams made the playoffs. He was really flat. And then we saw it again in the Super Bowl last year too. It was just like I was really disappointed with McDermott. I was you know, Belichick, he hasn't had a very good year. Uh, to be honest, like not a very Belichickian year. He he hasn't had a lot of the, the players, but we look at some of the management, some same type of thing that you're talking with Peyton, like what they were doing at the end of halves with their timeouts, with going for it, with even like attempting to to get some points or not. Uh, didn't didn't seem you know like the the goat there. So yeah, I mean you can be a really good coach and not have a good week or a good game or a good year. And I, you know there were there were three coaches that I think are very good that did not do themselves or their teams a, a whole lot of help this weekend. Totally agree. And I want to go back to that play for a second that you're talking about. Well, that sequence, I should say, where Vrabel was able to take advantage of kind of a loophole in the rules, which allow you to be able to do what he did, which essentially is to have the clock restart or keep going all the way until the five minute mark when it comes to certain penalties that are done, not uh, you know, not consecutively, you know, a delay of game, a false start, delay of game, and you can kind of manipulate it to where you can milk the clock all the way until actually through the five minute mark until the very the first play of below five the five minute mark. So I'm a little bit surprised that more teams haven't done that, even in the middle of the game. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but let's just take like some kind of no huddle team. That it, like Peyton Manning's teams that were really dangerous with the Colts or his early tenure with the Broncos to slow down the rhythm. Wouldn't you want to just piss them off in the middle of the second quarter and do something like that? You know, I'm surprised that it hasn't happened more often. It's probably because a lot of people are familiar with that rule. They haven't thought of it. So I love that he did give Belichick a taste of his medicine because Belichick is the king of finding out about those rules. Is he not? Oh, this was great. Like social media was going crazy while this was happening. People were loving it. And the only thing that that could have happened is this, like this could have hurt you because if you're going to give the Patriots the ball with the opportunity to win the game and milk the clock. And they just didn't have that kind of an offense this year, unfortunately. Like, can you imagine thinking about that, that that we like – I don't know when they kicked the ball back to the Patriots. I still didn't feel like they were going to drive the ball down and kick a field goal or you know score a touchdown. And no, and that's a great win. point by the way because I've always like dating back to like when I when I um, really loved to follow like Dan Marino. One of the things I liked about him was because he was really the comeback king. You know him, Montana, and Elway 
for the longest time where the three leaders in terms of most most fourth or quarter tie or behind come from behind leads overtimes that type of thing and i'd always look at the clock and be like if they even if it's a quick strike offense if they give it back to them with five or six minutes to go it'll probably give dan about 60 to 90 seconds yeah that should be enough so i'd always kind of factor in how long it would take the first team to march down the field before the dolphins get the ball back and so kind of in line with what you're saying, you know, strategically, you wouldn't do that unless you didn't think the Patriots are going to score. Then you don't need the ball back again. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very telling statement about the state of the New England Patriots in 2019. Yeah, they I mean, we saw the, you know, really good veteran older quarterbacks struggle a little bit. I got to be honest, like this was one of as much as this was on Sean Payton and you can look through and we can break down the stats in that game and kind of spin them, you know, probably both ways. But Minnesota outcoached them. They kind of beat them up. And this was definitely not one of Drew Brees' finest games. I mean, he interception, ugly, really crucial late turnover in the game too. Just not smooth, really not in rhythm, not handling the pressure very well at all you know when you look at someone else like russell wilson who handles the pressure really well or you see someone like uh like watson even who can struggle through times where he gets hit 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 but then he's able to kind of make a huge play like he does late in the game and and survive what looked like going to be an easy sack and then make a big play it this was just a game where it almost felt like breeze was more of a liability to them than than he was someone who can lift them up and you don't see that very often from breeze but you you saw it a little bit in the end of last season, and then he actually played pretty well in the playoffs. Um, but this this year too, I thought he was. You know, they were scoring a lot of points, rolling into the playoffs, and I, I will say that this is by far the most wrong um, I was of any of the the games this weekend. I I wasn't sure how much of a blowout it was going to be, but I don't think I ever really expected the Saints to lose in any way, shape, or form. And now I wonder, moving forward this weekend, could the same game plan that the Vikings had? Run the ball. Try to put a lot of pressure on Garoppolo. Like, could that be successful against the 49ers team that I know you haven't really believed in a whole lot this year? And I've all I've been trying to poke holes in them all throughout the year too. Like we've been trying to 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 beat them or maybe not quite believe. But when you look at this field now, I think last week, man, the Saints coming out of the the um out of the field now, you look at what the, the 49ers have to face there were really no excuses for them with what's left like they've got a great opportunity they beat the crap out of green bay so all they have to do is win one game this week they're going to get another home game and it's going to be either against a team that they've split with that's going to be decimated by injury still or a team that they beat the crap out of it at home you know um mid, middle second half of the season so they're they're set up in really good shape i just think to me this is probably going to be maybe even a tougher game for them than next week would be if they were to win you kind of set it up perfectly in posing that question. The game I feel strongest about this weekend, Gino, I love Minnesota. I thought so. Going I thought you into would. San, going into Santa Clara and beating the San Francisco 49ers. And I'm going to tell you why. They have more offensive weapons. And they are they, they have the ability to throw the ball when needed. They've got one of the best running backs in the game. They've got really good tight ends. And most importantly, which defense has been hot? 
San Francisco 49ers defense has not been playing well. No, it hasn't been. So training. we've kind of been, I don't want to say brainwashed, but we've kind of been led to believe that the Niners have this really good defense, but they haven't been a good defense for about a half a season. That's long enough for me to realize, okay, they're not that great of a defense. Sure, they've got a really good front seven, but that doesn't necessarily always translate into uh, preventing scoring. And the Niners have given up a ton of points against a lot of teams. So right now, I think the Vikings defense is more dangerous than the 49ers. And offensively, I think they're more dangerous as well. The only way that the 49ers can really um, assert themselves in this game, I think, is to have that dominant run game that they exerted, that they exhibited in the first half of the season. And you and I have talked about this too, which is they did that against poor quality teams that were playing their worst during the season. Yeah, and that was so what I don't know how dangerous. Too. Yeah, and I don't know. So I don't know how dangerous the running game is. I, I think the most dangerous thing about the 49ers is their head coach and and their their game their offensive game plan. Because they, I don't know how they squeezed out as many points as they did, but somehow they did so, man. You know, so uh, ultimately, I see Jimmy G making a couple of crucial mistakes. I went back and watched the a good amount of the film between the two teams the last time they faced each other, and that was the year that Dante Pettis was a rookie. And uh, so, I've had a long day. I don't remember if that was last season or the season before. Either way. Sure enough, Jimmy G made a couple of huge mistakes. The Vikings took advantage. They were able to win that game. I think they go back to that same game plan, get a similar result. Vikings are going to win that game. Mark my words. Yeah, and, and one thing that when we talked to Arif last week, he was very confident in saying that the whole Kirk Cousins can't win a big game, that, that, that he didn't really believe that, that that wasn't much of a narrative. And when you looked last week, the quarterback that didn't make any mistakes – it managed the game very well that he stuck to the game plan and then he made a big, big throw when he had to. And that was Cousins. And you know what? Minute like looking back at that game too, even from last week, like Minnesota, Thielen, who makes the big play late, he really hurt them early on. I mean, he fumbled the ball, which set up a, a New Orleans score right off the bat. He had a really bad holding call and he dropped a pass in the first half. This game really even honestly, this game shouldn't have been close. Like we talked about some of the poor coaching from the teams that won, but I didn't even, I love Zimmer's game plan up until about getting up by 10. And then you get really conservative, which you you can't do against a team like New Orleans. I would actually have been fine with being conservative against a team like San Francisco, who you don't know if they can score quite as quick or quick strike it, you know, historically. So I, um, that game, I don't even think it was quite as close as it, it seemed on paper. Like the Vikings really showed up. They really played well. And Hey, I don't think of San Francisco, as you mentioned, like Santa Clara, when I think of like a, a tough place to go play and win at, that doesn't jump up on the short list to me like a place like New Orleans does. No, no, not at all. And we, we can elaborate a little bit more on the other side of the commercial break because I've got some thoughts as well, more about Peyton and his uh, you know poor coaching in that game, whether it's you know time management, uh, clock management, getting too cute with the plays or Alvin Kamara only getting seven carries in the game. Stay with us. We'll continue to talk NFL playoffs right after this. Follow. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. For Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps on and off the field and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. So on paper, just as far as like the, the spreads are concerned and these games are, it looks like this weekend is going to be more of a a weekend where we'll see some blowouts. Do you agree with the point spreads or do you think that these teams that have won on wildcard weekend, you, you just made a case for the Vikings. What about the other three teams um, as far as having a shot going on the road, beating the higher seeds this week? Yeah. Let me just give one more uh, kind of take sure. on that game before we turn the page, you know, Alvin Kamara getting seven carries in the, in the playoffs is a perfect example of what I'm talking about when I say that, Peyton just got too cute with the game plan, especially offensively. We know that's where he makes his mark. You know, it's considered an offensive guru, offensive genius. And, you know, it was on full display now. It's been on full display three playoff years in a row where the Saints have proven that they could score 31, 35, 40 points at will against any team during the regular season. And they score about half of that in the playoffs. They've left points on the table so many different times. They haven't had that killer instinct. And I think a lot of that isn't because of the players. I really think a lot of that is because of the game planning. And it's almost kind of like, let's throw in every trick play that we worked on during training camp and that we've used in practice. Let's save them all and throw everybody off guard in the playoffs. 
which sounds really cool and all, right? And let's face it, they actually executed per- perfectly on a couple of them. But I come back and say, well, why, why, why do you need to do that when if you just do what you've been doing, you're going to win? If you just stick to the offensive game plan, Kamara getting 15, 18 carries a game, Murray getting a few, hitting Kamara uh, out of the backfield on, on, on some you know, short to medium uh, distance passes and screens and hit Thomas downfield. I mean, how effective was Thomas in the last game, right? It's like one of those things where I'm like, man, they got so many pro bowlers and all pros and it, yeah, as you can tell, I'm really, really frustrated by it. And I think it's just one of those things where you go back and you look at the head coach changing things up during the playoffs. That typically doesn't work. I don't know a lot of teams where they make adjustments to something that's really good and it doesn't work. You could do it to something that isn't working and then tweak it like the Vikings probably did. Right. They probably made some tweaks to, you know, they, they didn't look good at all against Green Bay couple of Monday nights ago. So they obviously made a lot of changes and their offensive line played so much better, didn't it, Gino? I mean, oh, it was yeah. like night and day, right? So they made the right adjustments going one direction. <laughs> the Saints made the adjustments going the other direction. So that's that's kind of my take on that. But hey, let's um, let's shift the focus for a few minutes here and talk college football national championship because we've got with you us... stay in New Orleans. Yes, we could stay in New Orleans. Unfortunately, it's not about the Saints who lost, but LSU football. It's been a team that you and I have actually talked about from early on during the year. We talked to Josh early on in the year. We've both been high on them. He's been really high on him on them. We talked to him before they got into the brutal stretch uh, within the SEC schedule and everything that Josh said was on point. That is Josh Moody, former LSU quarterback, NFL player, MLB World Series champion. Josh, you're on with Mike and Gino. What's up, buddy? What's up, boys? How y'all been, man? I miss you, Mike. How y'all doing? Good, man. How about you? I'm doing good, man. You talked a little bit about the Saints. I heard, I overheard you guys as I clicked on, and you know, all that did was make those Louisiana fans ticked off for Monday night. So I like our chances uh, in the Superdome with that kind of home field environment type of thing going on. A lot of people from, of course, from Louisiana are going to be down in the dome. It makes the trip easy for our fans and. It's going to be one exciting, exciting game. That's a great point. I hadn't even thought about that in terms of, I mean, I knew, obviously, you know, it's it's kind of going to be a healing thing for New Orleans, but you're right. They're going to jam-pack that stadium, that dome. It's going to be rocking come Monday night. Too. <laughs> it is. It's, you know, it, it, our last two championship games that we won uh, we're both in the in the Superdome as well, so it's kind of ironic that the game is played back in the dome this year when we get the, you know, when we get a chance to win it all again. Of course, Orgeron's as hungry as any coach I've ever seen, and you guys know him because you're Southern California guys. And Orgeron was at USC for a while, but you know what? He had never won an SEC title before this year. He's not won a national title, uh, of course, before before hopefully this year. Uh, ends, but um, you know it's just one of these awesome runs. We got a lot of veteran leaders, and I mentioned this, uh, you know, prior to the season. I think when we did the show, is you know we had four out of five offensive linemen coming back. We had three stud receivers back that are going to be first rounders and potential second rounders uh, at worst. We've got a tight end, Randy Moss's kid, that's Thaddeus Moss is playing great. Our tailback has been spectacular, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. So we've got a lot of weapons. 
uh, at Burrow's disposal. Now Burrow's a household name, of course, winning a Heisman, but he's driving a Ferrari with all these guys he's got to throw to and weapons that he's got and linemen, interior linemen that know how to handle each and every situation in, in a football game. So it's a, it's a special deal. Hey, let me ask you both something real quick before you could jump in, Gino. Both these teams are 14-0. and Have we had a 15-0 and season? I mean, Ooh. back in the day, <laughs> I don't know. teams were... Yeah, back yeah, in the there day, wasn't it was, a playoff it was kind of like game a 12, back in the yeah. day. Back in the day, it was like, you know, you win the national championship at 12-0. But have we had a team get to 15-0? And yeah. if they do, whoever it is, but let's just say it's LSU because they had the Heisman Trophy winner and they play in the SEC and stuff, mm-hmm. could we make a case that they, they're the greatest college football team of all time? Like singular, just one Ooh. team. I'm not talking about a dynasty or a run. But if they get to 15-0, what do you guys think? I think they got to be the best college offense of, of all time. I mean, yeah. the, the, the record-breaking performances week in, week out. I mean, Burrow hadn't had a bad game. He's, you know, he's got 50-something touchdowns and six picks, 55 and six. I mean, no one in the SEC. He's, he shattered SEC records. We played six top ten teams at the time that we, we played those games, and we, we, you know, we, <laughs> we broke those records by playing unbelievable opponents. I mean, we played Texas at Texas. We had to play Bama at Bama. Texas didn't end up being as strong as we thought they were going to be. But prior to the game, I mean, that was a, the game day was there, you know, and that was a big, big ball game. Of course, we beat Auburn and Georgia had to beat them in the dome. They had the probably the second best defense in the country. So if from my, just from my, uh, from the naked eye, man, this is one of the best offenses I've ever seen in, in the history of college football. It's amazing when you look at um, what what LSU has done with Ed Orgeron, and and you look over, you look around college football, and it's always difficult because you don't want to you don't want to get stuck with a coach who might not be the right guy um, for for mm-hmm. years, but you want to make sure that mm-hmm. if you find the right guy, you give them the right opportunity, and that's what LSU has done because you know there's a lot of schools like Orgeron. You mentioned he didn't win a national championship right away. It took a few years. They had to kind of invest in the coaching staff around him a little bit, but they knew mm-hmm. they had something with him, and it has been the progression each and every year. And I mean, it, I get really sad when I watch these videos of him when he's crying and he's talking about how he wanted to be at USC and everything. And oh, it, he loves <laughs> he, he is just like one of the greatest like characters out there right now. He's really embraced by everyone with the voice, with the with everything. Like, just talk a little bit about what Ed O means uh, means down there to this team. Yeah, you know. When he was at Miami in the 80s, when he was at SC with Pete Carroll, now with LSU, uh, he's he's such an unbelievable uh, recruiter, and that helps him kind of get the, the players that he needs uh, in the locker room to potentially win championships. We all know how uh, how recruiting plays such a crucial part in college football. I mean, if you look back over the last forever really it's just Alabama's dominated recruiting and what have they done they've dominated Saturdays right so it's like you have to recruit well you've got to get a stable of players you've got to recruit five-star guys you've got to be able to recruit uh, nationally you've got to have to you're going to have to be able to do all the things and that's the basis of Ed Orgeron's existence you know he's a great D-line coach but he's a he is the, one of the best recruiters of all time and so everything starts there so now let's build around it right let's get an offensive coordinator in here Steve Insmere, he hired his buddy who's been around college football for years. He hired David Aranda and paid him more money than uh, than God, $2.5 million, the most ever 
um, to a deep for, to a coordinator, a defensive coordinator in college football history, Dave Aranda. So they locked him in, and then they brought in Joe Brady this year, uh, a guy that was with Sean Payton a year ago. And y'all were talking about the Saints, but he he was at uh, he was at Penn State uh, for a year, and then he went down to New Orleans and worked under Sean Payton and really learned the spread offense, and he brought that to LSU. So this is the first year we've run the spread offense. This is the first year we've been in four wide receiver and five wide receiver sets. This is really the first time we've, uh, you know, allowed our, our players to go out there and make plays and, 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 and get to the level offensive of offensive production. You know, we've never been to this, these levels. No one really has, but we, we surely hadn't. We've always been, you know, let's bang it up front. Let's get three yards in a cloud of dust. Let's play unbelievable defense. Let's return a punt. Let's pick a ball off. We played like the Ravens. Now we've got an we got a great offensive scheme, and now you match that with the talent that we have that Orgeron's put in place, and it's it's phenomenal what we're going to be able to do. I think in the next decade or so with him at the helm, if we can continue that recruiting, uh, you know, that success in uh, recruiting. And on, on the other side of the ball, Josh, so in the last three games against A&M, Georgia, and high-powered offense, Oklahoma, LSU Tigers have given up seven points, 10 points, and 28 points. What are, you, what are they going to have to do to slow down Lawrence and company? Oh, you know, Trevor Lawrence is unbelievable. I think he's a, the greatest draft prospect I've I've ever seen. He, you know, we saw him in Ohio State. He was down 16. He got bent backwards. He got hit in the mouth. He responded. He's a he's just an unbelievable player. And of course, he's got the big arm. He's six six. He runs like RG three, and he's tall as Peyton Manning. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. But I think that we throw enough athletes on the field to make it very very difficult on him. We've got. This year, the first half of the season, I think we were ranked 50th in the country in total defense. By the end of the year, we were 27th. We got Rashard Lawrence, a defensive interior lineman that's really playing well and got healthy. Kalamon Chason, who will be a first-rounder on the edge. He's a pass rusher that's a really special player, probably going to be a first-rounder. He wasn't healthy the first half of the season. In the first 10 games of the year, Grant Delpit, our All-American preseason safety, who will be a first-rounder, he wasn't healthy. So he was he was probably seventy five percent until uh, late in the season, but he wasn't going to sit out. That's just kind of the guy he is, and so he was worried about his draft prospects. He wanted to play, but now we're playing team defense. We're running to the football. We're like you said, we played great against Georgia. We played great against A and M, uh, Oklahoma. We were so far ahead of them, so fast. They, they... Easter Weathers, Josh. He was on a roll too, giving oh, yeah. us some uh, good uh, good analysis there. Well, if he gets cut off, I'm sure we'll uh, effort to get him back. I was actually just going to ask him about, um, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, who are, who are, who does he see as uh, like the next wave of NFL stars defensively that come out of LSU because that's a factory on the defensive side of the ball. And this year, it just like he was alluding to historical historical offense. I mean, man. They have so many playmakers, Jefferson and Chase and Moss and Marshall and uh, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, and I mean, on and on and on. Like, it's just, uh, and, and Burrow gets it there, man, every time. You don't get to 55 touchdowns of college football and not be, you know, slinging it, but they also have a running game, too. Yeah, sorry, guys. Um, oh, there you, know, you go. And that, yeah, yeah I, I apologize. I, I cut out, but, you know, I think that, that our defense is secondary. 
we Christian Fulton, he's a corner. He's going to be a first rounder. Derek Stingley's a freshman All American, All SEC first team. He's a 19 year old corner. He's like Charles Woodson, a young Charles Woodson. He's developed beyond his years, and then Delpit in the secondary. I mean, I think we give them. Uh, they haven't played against a team that can throw out, you know, 15 to 17 defensive players out there. We rotate defensive linemen. We've got great uh, linebackers, so we got a big guy. Uh, divinity back for this game. Uh, he'll help us. It kind of shores up the linebacking group. He's been out the last six games. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think we've got a lot of horses. They do too. They've been in these games. It's, that's what's so fun about this. Is they've won 29 straight, and yet they're almost touchdown underdogs. That's, that's unbelievable. That leads me to to an important question because you, you'd mentioned that you felt that Trevor Lawrence won a if not the best quarterback prospect. Now, coming from a quarterback, that's high praise. Yeah. Quarterback who's done it at every level. So let me ask you, when you look into your crystal ball, who's the better pro? Who's the guy oh, that is going to be the perennial all-pro? And you know where I'm going with this question, between the two oh, guys yeah. that are going to be laying it all out on the table come Monday. Yeah, I, you know, I've gotten this question uh, quite a few times in the past few weeks, kind of gearing up for this. But, um, you know, I think... Burrow's 23 years old. He's a fifth-year senior. His dad was a defensive coordinator. He understands the spread. He understands this offense so well. He was at Ohio State three years. Urban Meyer recruited him. He's a, you know, he's a football junkie. He believes in himself. He's confident. He broke every record in the SEC in the history. But, but he's not six-six. He can't throw at 70 yards. He can't run like a gazelle. Four-four-five guy. Trevor Lawrence has never lost a ball game. He's 20 years old. How can you not say that that is the most for sure quarterback ever and, you know, ever maybe coming out of the draft? So I'm serious, man. I mean, I think this guy is the most talented guy we've ever seen play the position, in, you know, in the college ranks. And to have the success he's had at his age, it's just unbelievable. So I would have to say I'm taking the 6'6 guy that doesn't make mistakes, that can run like a gazelle over – even Joe Burrow, which is it's, it's crazy to, to think that, but I, I would. Well, it's kind of like when you play a video game like Madden or something, and you're able to kind of assemble or put together your robot quarterback and, you know, the arm of a, of a you know, whatever, a Marino and a height and a frame of a Peyton Manning and the legs of an RG3 or a Michael Vick or whatever, and God yeah. did that with this kid. He did. He did. He really did. He's got you know, he's got it the, the entire package. You saw him against Ohio State. He was stuffed and he got hit and he responded. And um, you know, he doesn't he he doesn't get rattled. He doesn't turn the ball over. Like the big game scenarios don't even bother him. He's got ice water in his veins. And you can say that for a lot of the the great ones that come through the college ranks and onto the NFL. But this guy's special because he's six six, but when you put on a helmet, he's six seven, six eight, you know. And he does have that stride. He was running away from the Ohio State uh, defensive backs into the end zone, and and uh, you know they could not catch him. So he's like a deer too. And so you got that culmination of everything going for him. Of course, he's got a great back in the backfield with him, Travis Etienne, who's actually a New Orleans kid uh, that got away from Louisiana. But he'll be showcased too. And and they do the RPO stuff, and they take a little pressure off of of Lawrence. But when it comes down to uh, nut cutting time. Trevor Lawrence can deliver, and he can run if he needs to, and, and I'm sure that it'll happen. Uh, both will happen on, on Monday. 
Hey, Josh, I know you're on a tight schedule. Can we get a prediction for you out the door here? <laughs> I think uh, LSU 41, Clemson 33. Ooh, right at the – so they're going to cover. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a barely, but it's yeah. going to cover. I, I, think I think they'll cover, man. I really do. I, I, just, I think this is our year. We're playing this thing in New Orleans. Uh, there's a huge benefit to that, but we have a we have a pretty amazing team, and not to take away from uh, you know Clemson because if you if you really if you really really think about Clemson, man, I mean they they got that ultimate winner mentality, you know. So that's going to be a big big key factor in the ball game is you know they just don't lose. You know, can we be that much better than than, than them? Awesome, Josh. Thank you so much for joining us, man. I know you're on a tight schedule, and we'll look out for you (laughs) pregame and postgame for the national championship game. That's (laughs) Josh Booty. Good luck, man. Thanks so much, guys. All right, we're going to take our final commercial break, Gino, and we'll be back to talk Minnesota Vikings playoffs right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel joining the revolution with jim and trav this week will be two bow hunting legends christian berg editor of peterson's bow hunting magazine and mark drury from juries 13 and bow madness from understanding deer movement to how weather and increased hunter pressure affect them the ins and outs of calling decoying and shot placement we're talking whitetail essentials the revolution is presented by outdoor channel sportsman channel world fishing network and my outdoor tv saturdays at 9 a.m pacific noon eastern on the voice america variety channel Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. That was great stuff from Josh Booty there uh, talking to LSU. I think, I think we both agree. We've all kind of been on the LSU train this year, and we're going to try to ride him one more time. 
And But we do have uh, our next guest on the line. Mike, you want to introduce him? Yeah, which actually for any of our listeners that listen to us week in, week out, Arif Hassan from the Athletic Minnesota came in, gave us good stuff prior to the Saints matchup. And now he's coming back on because he said, hey, if they win, I'll keep coming back. And uh, Arif, big matchup, obviously, against the San Francisco 49ers, the top seed in the conference. What are some of the things that you think the Vikings have to do offensively? Let's just start with in order for them to win this game against a team whose defense gave up a lot of points in the second half of the season, them being San Francisco. Right, yeah, San Francisco's defense seemingly fell off, uh, especially the last four weeks, but you're right, the, the second half of the season uh, really felt like, you know, that was the strength of the team. The, the problem for the Vikings, though, is that they might have to throw a lot of that film out. Uh, they didn't have Jaquiski Tart for a lot of that. He's going to be healthy for this game, or it looks like he'll be healthy for the game. And that changed schematically what they were doing on the back end. They, they, you know, they liked, liked to be kind of a very flexible defense, but they had to fix, uh, you know, with a, with a strong safety that was kind of a classic box safety to replace them. And they were basically a classic cover three team. And, and the NFL has had a lot of experience now uh, playing classic cover three. And so that, that defense fell off dramatically. I don't know that that's going to be the case, especially with not just Tart coming back, but Quan Alexander coming back. So they're going to have to maybe even just kind of throw out all the tendencies that they saw over the last couple of weeks and play as if, you know, this is the defense we saw middle, uh, through the middle of the season, you know, top three defense in the NFL. Um, so the, the problem there will be kind of identifying the coverages, making sure that Cousins can find ways to be explosive, but also make good decisions at the same time, which is pretty difficult with a defense that likes to mix things up as much as they do. Well, then on the other side of the ball, I think that is maybe where Minnesota can make some noise, maybe can get a turnover, maybe can um, just make a big play with doing what they did last week. Because we don't know if someone like Jimmy G is going to be able to deal with the type of pressure, make big throws. This is going to be his first time in a playoff you know, scenario like this. Is that? Do you think that the defensive template from last week, what was successful against the Saints, is going to be kind of something they employ again this week? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the Saints have a different kind of running game, but basically everything else from the passing game, the construction, the philosophy behind it, um, how quickly they want to get rid of the ball, stuff like that. Basically, everything else is the same, uh, and, and Garoppolo just isn't as good as Breeze. And, and one of the big, which is you know, it's pretty high bar to clear. But yeah. um, <laughs> one of the one of the biggest problems is that. You know, Garoppolo likes to hold on to the ball. Um, there is a lot more play action in this offense, so the Vikings will have to be a lot more disciplined, uh, you know, when they, when they you know, kind of chase after the run and stuff like that. But he's a very turnover-prone quarterback. You know, he's, I think, top five or top, you know, top eight, that's it, uh, in, in, in turnover, you know, percentage. And, you know, you take a look at his interceptions, you see a bunch of them, you know, clap off the hands of his receivers, but that gets balanced out by the fact that he's had a bunch of dropped interceptions this year, too. So uh, his interception numbers, which are pretty high, are a pretty true reflection of the kind of quarterback he is. And like you said, you know, he might not be able to stand under the pressure, not just of the game, but the kind of pressure the Vikings can bring. One of the innovations they had against the Saints was to put their defensive ends inside and rush the guards because their guards were much weaker than the tackles. I think that's true again with the 49ers. The tackles aren't as good as the Saints were, but they still have problems in the interior and pass protection. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the same thing. And a lot of quarterbacks fold under interior pressure. Uh, and, and I think Garoppolo could be along the same lines. They could create a, a couple of extra turnovers that way. Yeah, I was actually um, in the previous segment or before we were talking LSU football, I was actually talking about Garoppolo. And uh, one of his worst career starts came last season in the opener against the Vikings. 
he threw, I think, three interceptions, a pick six, had one of his worst, you know, pass ratings uh, of his young career so far. And uh, I, I saw a quote earlier where he said that the Vikings, they just did a really good job disguising their coverage um, with their safeties. And so, you know, he's like, I'm preparing for that this time. What kind of things defensively do you think they'll throw at them to keep them off guard and ill-prepared once again? Yeah, one of the things the Vikings have done historically really well that they haven't done that much this season that I wouldn't be surprised for them to kind of bring back uh, are defensive back blitzes. I think one of the ways that you can really confuse a quarterback, especially a young quarterback, and, and the Vikings have done this a lot against first or second year starters, is to blitz a safety. And, and Harrison Smith uh, is one of the better pass rushing safeties in the league. Now, there's more and more of them entering, so you know he doesn't quite stand up to Derwin James anymore. But uh, you know he he is a pretty incredible pass rusher as a safety, and he can do a lot of damage. And and one of the problems is not just his individual pass rushing skill, which is pretty tremendous, but also the fact that it's very difficult to assign protections when it's a defensive back and not just a linebacker blitzing. You have to tell your running backs and and, and offensive linemen who to block. And for a young quarterback that doesn't have a ton of game experience because he's been injured a lot. Um, you know, not having that game experience and, and figuring out the protections for his offensive line, that's his job. And so that might be an area where the Vikings can get some additional opportunities. They didn't blitz that much against New Orleans. Breeze is a veteran quarterback. It kind of makes a little bit of sense to kind of hold back there. But I think against Garoppolo, it'll make sense to, you know, have a back-end coverage that looks a little confusing, maybe drop a cornerback like he's a safety, but also make sure that those defensive backs kind of get involved. Nickel corners can blitz, too. The Vikings don't have any healthy nickel corners, but the, the people that will be playing nickel corner, which are probably also safeties, may be involved in, in the pass rush game as well. And that can be very confusing, especially when the Vikings drop you know, defensive linemen in coverage. They've got a couple of picks on the defensive line, too. Now, in terms of knowing your opponent, do you think it's a greater advantage that Kyle Shanahan worked for Kubiak or that Kubiak as a mentor knows Shanahan? Or does that not really play out in, in such, a, such a game? Um, I think that it, it'll, it might help uh, Shanahan just a little bit more um, because as a, as a head coach, he'll be involved in game planning on both sides of the ball, um, whereas Kubiak will certainly you know, provide kind of his input to, to the defense, but that's Mike Zimmer's baby. He's probably going to be a little bit more uh, you know, protective of, of the way that he designs that defense. So just from an involvement standpoint, I would imagine that, that Shanahan's got you know, kind of more fingers and more pies. Um, but I think you're right that ultimately it's not – a huge difference. We've seen a ton of these West Coast zone styles, uh, you know, uh, teams, you know, with like the Rams and, and, and Washington where Kirk was coming from and, uh, you know, a couple of games that they've played this year already um, have a lot of very similar looks. And the, the advantage that Shanahan provides is not the systemic knowledge, but the fact that he is such a clever play caller that it kind of doesn't matter that one worked with the other because the stuff that Shanahan has done since, you know, kind of parting ways with Kubiak has been so extraordinarily different. Okay, we only have about five minutes left on the show. Now we've got get, to gotta get to the important stuff. G- give us a prediction, because for me, I actually feel, and that doesn't mean anything, but I feel more confident in Minnesota's, like, matchup with the way they match up with San Francisco this week than I did going into the game last week where I just I didn't feel like they had much of an opportunity to win that game. I thought they could keep it close. I do feel like they have an opportunity to win this game. What's your overall hunch? Give us maybe, like, a score prediction. I think if the situations were reversed and they played the 49ers first, this, I think you'd be right that the matchups yeah, would okay. favor the Vikings. The problem is 49ers have a bye week. The Vikings are on yes. a short week. Vikings have to travel to the West Coast on a short week. I think those structural factors are going to play such a big role 
the Vikings won't necessarily be able to overcome them. So I would say I would probably give it to the 49ers. Um, I, I don't think it'll be a super high-scoring game, maybe you know, 24-20. Vikings still cover, but you know, the 49ers still win. Now, is this something that you do kind of so that you could reset your own expectations so you're not let down? or Because I don't think that you gave them much of a chance necessarily. That wasn't the vibe I got against the Saints. So are you kind of hoping that you're wrong two weeks in a row? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> that's that's what i've been that's what i've been telling people but honestly i've picked the vikings uh almost every game of the regular season i think the only team i picked against them was the cowboys i was wrong about that um it's just that these teams in the playoffs are so overwhelmingly good it's it's difficult to kind of just be objective and then also say hey you know i i think that the vikings who uh, have been kind of struggling in a lot of areas all year have a have a great chance against like you know the top team in the NFC or whatever. So, you know, hey, if I'm wrong, you know, I've got I've got more work to do. I'm happy about that. And if I'm right, I'm right. I'm happy about that. Yeah, you know, I don't necessarily get very often get very strong feelings when I look at matchups, but I really like the Vikings in this game. I think that the timing in terms of the bye week can help a lot of teams heal up and and prepare and that type of thing, but you don't get two weeks to prepare for your opponent because you don't know who your opponent's necessarily going to be. So you get the same amount of time in terms of being able to evaluate who you're going to face next. But I think for somebody like Garoppolo, who's a rhythm guy, timing guy, sometimes I think that time off can uh, can be a little bit harmful. But we'll have to wait and see. That's why they play these games. Arif, uh, one one last thing for you, which is if they win this game, who do you hope that the Vikings face the week after personally i would rather travel i'd rather go to seattle i don't want to go to green bay uh the green bay is a better matchup for the vikings even though green bay beat them twice seattle beat them once so i don't think that that matters too much um i think that the quarterback playing green bay is not up to the standard right now the quarterback play in seattle um so i think the vikings want to play green bay plus you get your chance for i think a, a better revenge game uh, as it were. So um, I, I would say that the Vikings would want to play Green Bay. I want, I want them to play Seattle. I want to travel. Interesting take, though. Definitely good stuff there. Arif, thank you so much. And once again, if the offer still stands, if they win, we hope we can keep talking all the way to the Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of these days I'll actually, you know, make the appropriate time. <laughs> it's all good. All good, my man. All good. Well, best of luck this weekend. Enjoy the Bay Area, and uh, we hope that we'll have a chance to talk to you again one week from today. That yeah, is absolutely. Arif, I would love to. That's Arif Pasan with the Athletic. Always appreciative of him joining us. Gino, uh, we only have a few seconds left here. What are your picks for do, the uh, four games? Let me say this: I do not like this weekend at all. I mean, I just don't have a feel for the like the spreads. They all feel very like spot on to me. Um, I, I how think about I'm, winners? How about who, yeah, who are the winners? Let's help. The only one that I'll say, um, if I was going to bet, I would bet Minnesota to cover. I think the other, th- other than that, I think it's just going to be chalky. Um, I think the other three top seeded teams win. I think Green Bay just the home field. Seattle having to travel, so I'd lean Green Bay winning. Um, Kansas City. I think it's going to win. I just I don't really trust uh, Houston to go in there and play a great game on all sides of the ball, and and then I, I just don't I don't know if Tennessee can can do it again and go on the road. And you know I, I think because Lamar played so bad in that playoff game last year, they're going to really have this game circled, and and it's not going to be a game they come out flat. Yeah, and it's funny when you have ten and six teams making the playoffs, and you think about it from this perspective. Baltimore won five more games than Tennessee did this year, <laughs> so you know that's like a half a season's worth for for most playoff teams. So I'll just give you a quick winners down the uh, list here: 
Minnesota with a big upset, Baltimore and Kansas City, Chalky, like you said, and the AFC. And I'm going to go for one more upset. I think Seattle upsets Green Bay. We're going to have all the top seeds out. It's going to be crazy when you think about it. The chalk on one side, the upsets on the other side. That is all the time that we have, Gino. Great show. Thank you to all the listeners. Thank you, Gino. Uh, Thank you for the Voice of America staff. But most importantly, we hope that you've got a tremendous sports weekend, you being the listener, and we'll be back here at the same time, same place next week. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.